0: Some of, my, some of my favorite movies are movies that were based on books because I find it fascinating to see how a character that I've imagined in my mind suddenly comes alive on the screen or a location that I've thought, well, you know, I see a river going by here and a couple of trees over here and suddenly it's entirely different when it shows up in the movie. But inevitably what happens when you come out of a movie theater, back when we could be in movie theaters, um, inevitably what would happen was you'd come out of the movie and you'd hear this. The book was better. The book was way better. And that's fair, because you think of all the detail that shows up in a book. You think of, uh, of how your imagination can just run wild, right? And how much detail you add. There's a movie running in your mind, and suddenly when it's on the screen, you're like, it's just not the same. But usually the reason people say that is because there are certain things that happen in a book that don't show up on the screen, right? There, there are the Tom Bombadils of the Lord of the Rings that nobody knows about because he's just in the book. And so people want those details. They want every little bit, but you just can't in a, in a movie. But what a movie doesn't do when it tries to base itself on a book, it doesn't remove any piece of the story that's critical, right? It would be uh, strange if The Lord of the Rings was a movie without Samwise Gamgee. It's not The Lord of the Rings without Samwise Gamgee. It would be like The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, without any sense of this animosity between Edmund and Lucy at the start of the movie, which then helps us understand the redemption of Edmund through the movie. I hope that didn't just wreck it for you. You should know. If, if that didn't happen, you, you would miss the story. It, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't be the Chronicles of Narnia. It, it wouldn't be the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What's interesting is we have four Gospels, four records of the life of Christ, Two were written by uh, the apostles, both uh, Matthew and John. They, they walked with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles. They saw him do everything he did, and then they wrote of it. They just remembered, and they wrote it by the inspiration of the Spirit. But two were also written by uh, companions in ministry of the apostles in, in the book of Acts. We have Mark and Luke, and they just got eyewitness accounts, and they wrote out the life of Jesus. And so there are are elements of the story of the life of Jesus that are constant throughout all of them. Because without them, you'd miss it. You'd miss who Christ actually is. What's interesting is that there are only two miracles. Of all the miracles that show up in all the Gospels, right? Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, A woman reaches out who's been bleeding for 12 years, reaches out and touches his robe and is healed. What's interesting is that there are only two miracles that show up in every single one of the four Gospels. One of them is the resurrection. And you can kind of understand why that one would show up because uh, you can't understand Jesus without the resurrection. If he's not alive today, w- w- why are we here? <laughs> Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if the dead aren't raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There is no point in being alive right now if there is no life to look forward to after this one. But the second miracle is interesting. The second miracle that shows up in all four of the gospel accounts is the feeding of the 5,000. So it raises a question. Why? When all of these recorders of history sat down to, to, to lay out Jesus' life, why did they all, by their own memory and by the, the inspiration of the Spirit again, why did they all come to the conclusion that this has to be in there? It has to be. Why is it so important? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and answer that question right now. I'm going to spill the beans because the beans is going to help us understand the text. I think it's there. Because it is critically important for any disciple of Jesus to understand his ability to radically, incomparably provide. I think it's critical. I think that's why there's a bit of an exclamation point on this miracle because it shows up in every single one of the Gospels. We have to know. We have to have this certainty that Jesus can provide. The Christian life is not the same if you don't believe Jesus can provide for you. It's not the same. But another reason that I think that, that that is why this is here is actually because of how Luke frames this story. Pastor Matt preached to us last week uh, about Jesus sending out the 12 apostles. He sends them out saying, go, go preach the kingdom and I'm gonna give you power and you're gonna be able to heal diseases and cure people. And so they go out and, and, and they, you know, it's a wonderful missions trip. They're painting fences and digging wells. They come back to Jesus. They actually didn't do any of that stuff. They just preached and cured. They come back to Jesus, and how this text starts in Luke 9 is by the disciples coming back to him, and they just, they just tell him everything that, that they did. Jesus, this is where we went. This is, what we, this is what we did. These were these miracles. People are now following us. It's pretty cool, and Jesus then knowing all of that, and, and receiving all of that, and knowing then later that in chapter 10, just one chapter from now, he's going to send out the 72 in between this sandwich of mission is this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I think what we also need to see is not only for just the, just the general discipleship of following Jesus, it's critically important to know that he provides, also for our work of mission, for the call upon the church to go and make disciples of every nation. If we're actually gonna fulfill that mandate, we need to be convinced, radically, steadily convinced that Christ can provide for our every need. I think that's why it's here. So here's what I want to do. I want to read this text together all the way through Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17. We're going to read it through. I'm going to pray for us and then I want to consider three characteristics of Christ's provision that we see in this miracle that that Lord willing will steady us for lives of following after Jesus, uh, for lives of fulfilling the mission that he left us with. So if you have your Bible, let's turn Luke 9 I'm going to start reading at verse 10 and go all the way to 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew to a part, uh, withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, "'Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside "'to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place.' "'But he said to them, you give them something to eat. "'They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, "'unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. "'For there were about five thousand men. "'And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about fifty each.' And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. And, and Lord, we are excited. Would you make us excited for the truth that we find here, for the wonderful gift that it is to have this record of history of the work of Christ, your son, our savior. God, would you draw us near to you and we pray that by your spirit, we would understand uh, that you would convict us of this wonderful truth that our savior, the one who set his love upon us and showed it by dying on a cross that, that our savior has the power to provide God, we pray that you would let that truth sink into our hearts, that it would steady us. And so I thank you for your church. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity it is, even in this uh, this mode to gather, to worship you, uh, to hear from you. So be honored and magnified. Would our hearts uh, and the posture of our hearts be pleasing to you? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So three characteristics of Christ's provision I want us to see but before I get to them I want to, I want to take note of, of the first two verses because I'm not going to hover on them I want to zoom in on the miracle the miracle of the feeding but, but I don't want to pass over verses 10 and 11 because I think there's something important for us to see here. I mean, there's, there's something important for us to see in every verse of Scripture. But, but the fact that the, the disciples come back from their missions trip, and Luke doesn't make this note here, but in Matthew, uh, the account in Matthew 14 of the same miracle, uh, he makes it a little more clear. He says that when the di- disciples come back, they're telling Jesus about everything they did. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Uh, Jesus says, let's withdraw to a desolate place so that we may rest. So Jesus takes them apart so that the, the busyness of this ministry, of all that they just did, that you need a bit of a break. You need a bit of a recoup, um, probably physically, but, but I think there's something to be learned here spiritually, too, of times to, to steal away, to be with Christ, and to, to revive ourselves, uh, to have him revive us. Um, I don't think we can miss that. But, but also, I don't want us to miss, in verse 11, that when they go off for their little spiritual retreat, um, Suddenly the crowds find them again. And all this, you know, we're looking for, I'm gonna sit back on the beach and I'm gonna sit in my launcher and read. Suddenly there's 5,000 people at the door uh, who want Jesus to keep doing healings and keep doing uh, all that he's doing about all the teaching. What does Jesus do? Rather than say, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Uh, we need a break. Um, come back tomorrow. He doesn't do that. He, he, he welcomes them. I, I think there's a little glimpse into the heart of Christ there. Uh, that even... Even in the weariness of ministry, uh, even for his disciples, when when people showed up in want and need, he didn't turn them away. He welcomed them. I'd love to hover there, uh, but I want to zoom in on the miracle. But but let's not pass over that um, without giving it some thought. But let's get to the miracle. So in verse in verse thirteen, sorry, verse twelve, verse twelve. Uh, we're starting there, uh, what the first characteristic of Christ's provision I want us to see is this. That Christ's provision is seemingly unrealistic. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to, to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we're in a desolate place. There is nothing here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus, do you see that crowd? That's a lot of people. What'd you just say? They said, we've no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless unless we go to buy food for all these people, for there were 5,000 men. Now, uh, what Luke doesn't, doesn't clarify here, but the other gospels do, is when he says men, he's excluding the women and children. So other gospels will say 5,000 men besides women and children. So if, if we were to give allowance, say, for every man to, I mean, we're going to average here, every man to have a, a wife and maybe one child. That's an average, because some, some men will have a wife and you know, four kids or six kids or 12. Um, and maybe some men are single. So if we average it out to about a wife and a child, we're, pro- we're probably looking at about 15,000 people. The feeding of the 5,000, it's not just 5,000 it's probably a massive, massive crowd. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, um, "You give them something to eat." What? We've got five loaves and and two fish. Uh, uh, what are what are we supposed to do here, Jesus? Now, now let me give you a little more context. So when they were out in the in the desolate wilderness, in the in the place where they, near Bethsaida, they've gone out to retreat. Um, In that area, the surrounding villages, the biggest villages would probably have about 3,000 people. So even if they did send everybody away, the disciples are probably thinking, this is already impossible, right? They'd all have to probably go to different towns, because if they all showed up in one town, the 3,000 people there would say, we barely have enough for the month, and it's gone fast. It seems impossible, so they'd all have to spread out. They'd, it's just not going to work, e- even if they did send them away. So, but anyway, let's send them away because this is too much for us to figure out. Then for Jesus to say, well, you feed them. And they say, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. Let me give you a little more context about that. When, when we think five loaves, you're probably thinking, you know, a good round loaf of sourdough bread that seemingly everybody baked when this whole thing started. Uh, you're probably thinking that. That's not at all what this loaf of bread would have looked like. It actually, uh, in John's gospel, John 6, we're told that it, they, were, they were loaves of barley bread. And barley bread was kind of the, the lowest end of the spectrum of breads. You know, it's like the whole grain stuff that you just taste like dirt. Um, it, it was, it was the, the worst kind of stuff you'd have. But it, more than that, it was small. When When a barley loaf was made, it was probably no bigger than the size of a Twinkie. I hope you know what a Twinkie is. Think, think a little bit less than, than a hot dog bun. They weren't big. And when we, when we see these fish, the fish would actually be something more like the size of a sardine that they would put on top of their barley loaf and they would eat it kind of like a piece of cheese on a cracker. It would to give it a little bit of flavor to, you know, cough down the dirt. So when, when the disciples say, we've got five loaves and two fish, this is, this is even more uh, dramatic than we think it is. They've got, they've got this... Little lunchbox and Jesus is is saying we need to feed everybody with all of this? Isn't that a little unrealistic? Right? Isn't it a little unrealistic to say let's feed all these 15,000, around 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Well, the the disciples thought so. What are we going to do? Well, Jesus is going to do something miraculous. With five loaves, and two fish, he's going to feed 15,000 people. Does it not seem many times as though Christ's provision, the thought of it, is just a little unrealistic? Doesn't it? And yet, in the unrealistic circumstance, something very real happens, and Christ provides. Let me, give you a, let me give you a story of a man by the name of George Mueller. Some of you might, might know this story because it's famous. Uh, George Mueller was a fairly famous missionary. But in the 1800s, in Bristol, England, uh, he, he had started an orphanage because he'd wandered around and he'd seen so many kids without parents that were just in the streets. So he brought them into his orphanage. But one morning, he got up with all the orphans. They were sitting at the table, uh, and he stood up to pray, and he thanked the Lord for the food that he provided. Uh, the only problem was... There was no food. There was nothing. And so he sits down at an empty plate with all the orphans. But lo and behold, there's a knock on the door. Knock at he knock. He goes to the door and the baker from town is there. And the baker says, I had, I had a horrible sense last night, Mr. Mueller, that you had no food. And so I woke up at 2 a.m. and I baked fresh loaves of bread and I'm wondering if you can use them. George Mueller says... Thank you, that would be great. Takes it inside. And just as they're about to start eating, knockity knock, there's another person at the door. He comes to the door and it's the milkman. And the milkman says, "Uh, Mr. Mueller, my milk cart just broke down right in front of your orphanage and the milk is all going to go bad. Uh, Could you use it? I think we could. Thank you. Brings the milk inside and those orphans have breakfast. Doesn't that seem a little unrealistic to you? And yet it happened. Doesn't it seem a little unrealistic that Jesus fed a crowd of 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish? But it happened. Why is that so important for us to see? Why does that show up in every gospel? Because you and I need to know that no matter how unrealistic it might seem, Christ can provide. No matter how unrealistic, no, no matter how much you might think there is no hope there's hope because Christ is who? The very son of God with the very power of God. So think, think of all the things in the Christian life that seem kind of impossible. Take, take for instance, Acts 1.8. Jesus is, has resurrected. He showed up to his disciples again and he says to them, you're gonna be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Come on, that's a little unrealistic. Like the whole earth, that's big. Even back then it seemed big. Now it's even bigger. Isn't that a little unrealistic? And yet, can Christ provide the means for his witnesses to cross the globe? Yeah, he can. Consider Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 25 and 26. There's a story of, of Paul and Silas who have been preaching, but but in Philippi, uh, there was this woman who was following them and she had a spirit which allowed her to tell the, the future she was kind of a fortune teller and she was following saying these are servants of the most high God and it kind of started to, you know grate on Paul a little bit so he turned around and he cast out the spirit the Philippians weren't too happy because you know um, they lost a lot of money that way and so they get thrown in prison and this is what we find in Acts 16 verse 25 to 26 about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Uh, They're in prison and there's an earthquake and suddenly the doors open and their shackles are unshackled. Isn't that a little unrealistic? To think that Jesus could, could rescue them from prison like that? But he did. Consider something like Romans 8.28. The wonderful promise that God will work all things to the good of those who love him. All things? Isn't that a little unrealistic, Jesus? You mean when my family member passes away from cancer? You mean when I lose my job? When when my bank account is empty, you mean all things? He'll work all things for the good of those who love him? Isn't that a little unrealistic? Is it? Is it for Christ? It's not. So so how does this truth steady us for lives of following Jesus? Well let me ask you, how does it not? How would it not steady us for, for whatever is going to come in our lives? The waves, the wind, whatever life is going to throw at us, a global pandemic, whatever is going to come our way. Is it unrealistic to think that Jesus can provide for our, our every need? What's well, not? When we see Him do such a profound, dramatic miracle, what we need to know, what, need to, what needs to steady us, is the fact that Christ can provide. He can absolutely provide, even when it seems radically unrealistic, when it seems as impossible as five loaves and two fish for 15,000 people. Christ can provide. How does that not steady us? And even for a life of mission, when when we go out and and we're thinking, okay, Matthew 28, 19, I've got to go make disciples of every nation. This is the mandate for the church. Is it unrealistic to think that God will provide for you in that mission? Is it? If he's called you to do it, as he told the disciples to feed these people, is it impossible to think that he'll provide for you in it? This ought to steady us with with such wonderful, firm foundation to walk on. So first, Christ's provision is seemingly unrealistic, as unrealistic as five loaves, two fish for 15,000 people. Secondly, what I want us to see is this Christ's provision is mediated often. Let me read, uh, starting at verse 13, I'm going to read to verse 16 this time. Oh, I'm in the wrong spot. Look nine. Starting at verse 13 to 16. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go buy food for all these people for there are about 5,000 men. He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So how does this miracle actually pan out? Jesus starts by saying, okay, you're seeing the need of these people, that's great. Um, you give them something to eat. That's crazy. And then in the end, who actually gives them something to eat? Well, we know, it's, we, we know that Jesus is the one who multiplies the food in some miraculous way. We don't know if he's just breaking it and, and somehow the loaf is getting longer. We don't know. Or, or you know, maybe as he's just, he's just hovering over the baskets and suddenly, fo- we don't know how it exactly happened. But after he's handed it to the disciples, it's the disciples who take it to the people. So in the end, They actually did what they were commanded to do. You feed them. Well, here, I'll I'll get it ready for you. I'll I'll provide the miracle, but here you go. Feed them. Christ's provision is mediated. So what do I mean by mediated? Um, When you uh, will have a uh, heated disagreement with somebody sometimes... Um, and you can't get anywhere. You, know, you just can't find common ground. You can't figure it out. Sometimes you'll call it a mediator, somebody who's going to stand in between the two parties and is going to kind of work things out and hear from one side and hear from another side and kind of translate things over just to keep things cool. Or when you're driving, uh, and there's what's called a median in the middle of the road. Some of you didn't know that's what it's called. That's what it's called. You're driving one way, and cars are driving the other way. There's this kind of plot of grass or this kind of ditch. It's a median. It, it's between the two roads. It's something in between. In the New Testament, we're told that Christ is the mediator between God and man. He stands uh, on our behalf before the Father. Our prayers go through Christ as he brings them to to the Father in heaven. And our relationship with him is mediated through him. It goes through Christ. He stands in the middle. So when I say that Christ's provision is mediated, I mean, uh, when I say mediated often, I mean that often God uses somebody in the middle. He uses people. Because here, how does, the, how does the provision get out to this crowd? It's through the disciples. Jesus did the miracle. Jesus is doing all the work in the background, but the disciples are handing it out. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, I think, I think expresses this really well. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, uh, verses one to six. Sorry, one to three, say this. Uh, because uh, there, there has been a... Um, a gift that's coming to the Jerusalem church because they're in need. And so as Paul has kind of put out this call and churches are responding to, uh, by, by being generous and giving. And this is what happens in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So he starts by saying, I want you to know about the grace of God that has arrived, that has shown up. And it's shown up in the fact that this church in Macedonia has given to the church in Jerusalem. So, so who, who is the miracle worker? Whose grace is on display? It's God. But who gave the money? was the church in Macedonia. Some of you uh, on Instagram or Facebook will probably have seen that about two weeks ago, um, the, the legendary apologist, Ravi Zacharias, passed away. He was a champion for the faith uh, and an excellent preacher of the gospel across the globe. But as I was scrolling through all the people saying, wow, well, this was, you know, uh, what a wonderful impact Ravi had on my life and they're kind of sending tributes, I, I, I stumbled upon a video that told the story of Ravi's beginnings in this ministry of being an evangelist. And he, uh, after working at seminary as a professor, he was sensing this call to be an evangelist and and to go across the globe and preach the gospel. And he came to his wife, Margie, and said, in order to to get this started, he wanted to start Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. In order to start this, we're gonna need about $50,000. And Margie said, well, that's a lot of money. And he said, well, I don't yeah, I don't know where, where we're gonna get that kind of money. Shortly after, he was invited to speak at a week-long retreat, kind of camp, and, and all sorts of people came and, and listened to him speak about five times through the week. And after his last message, he he said to them, I, you know, I would ask you to pray for us. We're we're trying to make some significant decisions together as a couple, and and we would we would cherish your prayers. And that's all he said. And he went off and, you know, and said their goodbyes, went back to his room, packed up his bag. And as he's about to leave, this gentleman by the name of D.D. D. Davis comes up to him and says, Ravi, I went back to my room and I got on my knees and I prayed for you. And I feel like God is calling me to give you a check for $50,000. And Ravi said, uh, well, I don't even, I, I'm not, you don't even know me. How, how about let's hold on for a second um, how about I'll come visit you at some point and tell you all about my ministry and, and once you know what this money's going to go to maybe you can give that to me um, and D.D. And said no no you're a busy man I'll come to you and he came heard all about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and he handed him that check for $50,000 without D.D. Davis Ravi Zacharias would not have had the impact on this globe that he did who provided that money? Well, Dee, but we know a man doesn't go on his knees in his room and suddenly just have some, you know, coincidence of thinking eh, I should give him fifty thousand dollars. God provided that money through D.D. Davis. God provided the money for Ravi Zacharias to start this ministry, and through Ravi Zacharias to have his gospel sound forth across the globe and and thousands of people to receive Christ as their Savior. How did that come through people? Through people So The fact that Jesus provides through people That his provision Is mediated often And I say often because he doesn't always have to do it through people Think of Exodus 16 Manna shows up like this this wafer like substance On the ground in the morning for them to eat It's not like Moses went out there and you know Tossed it around and said woo this is cool in the morning It just showed up Jesus just did that God just provided But often he works through people So think of of something like Hebrews 13, 16, where where we're called to not neglect sharing with one another for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Who's the one providing? When when we give to somebody who's in need, we know that, that in the end, God's actually the one providing. He's doing it through me, but God's the one providing. Think of something like Romans 10, the, the, the call to spread the gospel across the globe, the, this provision of salvation in Jesus Christ, how does it get, how does it get provided? Well, Romans 10, there's this, there's this passage where Paul is saying, well, how are they going to call upon whom they've never heard? And how will they hear unless somebody preaches? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Because faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So how does God provide, how does Christ provide salvation, the, the news of salvation across the globe? It's through people. It's through you. Who's doing the providing? Well, God, but how is he doing it? It's through you. Think, think of something like, like 2 Corinthians 1, a wonderful start to the epistle where uh, Paul starts with a roar of praise saying, blessed be the God of all mercies, uh, the Father, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who has comforted us so that we might comfort others with the comfort with which we've received from God. He says, praise God, who's the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort we got from him. So how does this steady us for a life of ministry, for a life of following Jesus? It gives your work profound worth. Just think think about it. If If you giving money to somebody in desperate need is actually God providing through you, if you're preaching the gospel to somebody who has never heard of Jesus and they receive Christ, if it's actually God making his appeal through you, if you comforting a brother or sister in the faith when they're in in the worst of their life is actually God comforting through you, who gets the glory? God. Your your work as a a follower of Jesus, as an ambassador of Christ on this world, is, is profoundly meaningful Because God is providing through you. He gets the glory and you get the privilege. So we go out with a wonderful joy to think that all that I get to do, I get to do to the glory of God and He's the one recognized for it. Christ's provision is mediated often. Last point Christ's provision is satisfying. It's satisfying. Look, look with me at verse 17, the last of this passage. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So it's not as though Jesus just broke off a little crumb, you know, for everybody. And they thought, wow, this is wonderful. Uh, Can I have a little more? Maybe. No, no. (laughs) They ate. They had their fill. No one was looking around for a little more food. You know, is there a buffet around? No. They had enough. They were satisfied with what Jesus provided. And not only was it satisfying, it was abundant. It was overflowing. They ended up picking up 12 baskets of extras at the end. So not only was it enough, it was more than enough. Christ's provision is satisfying but I, but I actually want to move further uh, than this text here. I want to move into John's account of this for a moment because the, the, the fact of Christ providing food, bread for these people is wonderful and it proclaims his power, but Christ does more than provide food because the reality of food is when you, you, know, you eat it, it gets into your stomach, it digests, you do away with it, you're hungry again. It, it's satisfying for a little bit, uh, but it won't be long until you want more food. And so in John 6, uh, we actually have an account of what follows this miracle and the people are coming back for more food. John 6, I'm going to start uh, just at verse 25 and to, to 27. I want to I read this to you. When they found him, again, so he they, they, they did this miracle, he comes around the, the other side of the lake uh, and they followed him because, you know, he's pretty spectacular. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You know, it's kind of as if if they're saying, oh, fancy that. I didn't think we'd bump into you here. We totally knew it, but cool. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because you saw proof that I am who I say I am, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus says, you're coming for more food. But don't seek the food that perishes. Seek the food that satisfies unto eternal life. And down in verse 35 he tells us what this food is. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus not only provides physical things, he does, he certainly does. We just saw him feed 5,000 people, more than 5,000 people. But in the end, Jesus has always been preaching a message that is greater than physical needs. It's your spiritual need. And he answers the question, well, what, what will actually satisfy you? Not not just in the physical, food, stomach sense, spiritually, ultimately satisfy you. And he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that will satisfy you. So for those of us who know Christ, how does this steady us? If, If Christ's satisfaction of us, of our spiritual need, is eternal like he just said it was well what could shake us if Christ himself said that, that this food that I give to you is food to satisfy you for eternal life who are we to say no nah, I don't really I don't you know I don't think so it's not doesn't seem good enough but also think of this the fact that Jesus is not the kind of provision that you just take in you know you digest and all of a sudden you know do away with after a bit Because he's alive right now He's not somebody who came for a little bit And died and disappeared He lives today He satisfies today For those of us who know him And follow after him The satisfaction of our eternal need For a savior Ought to steady us Steady us for lives of mission For lives of discipleship after him But for those of you uh, here joining us who who don't know Christ, and maybe maybe you know um, that you've come to church for years, and yet in your heart, you know, I I don't really believe. I haven't haven't really put my faith in him. Or or maybe you've never heard of Christ. You've never heard the gospel. What I wanna tell you is this, that you know deep down. You, You felt it. I know you felt it because I felt it before that the things of this world just aren't satisfying. As full as your bank account can get, it's just never full enough. That relationship just doesn't seem to be good enough. The career is, you know, it can get this far, but I just want to get one step further, always. It's just never enough. I'm here to tell you, what you're looking for is a living Savior who comes to you and says, I will satisfy you because I'm alive And my hope for you is for eternal life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to to wrestle with how unsatisfied you might feel. And I want you to consider repenting of sin, saying, recognizing that of our own devices, we prefer to think that God doesn't exist. And I don't owe him anything or, or anything like that. But the truth is, because of our sin, we deserve to be separate from God forever. And yet Christ made a way to satisfy the demand of justice and provide the good news. And so I wanna wanna encourage you to believe in Christ, to trust in him, repent of your sin, cling to him as the only savior who's alive right now, ready to wrap his arms around you. Christ's provision it's seemingly unrealistic it's mediated often and it's satisfying let's pray together God thank you for your word thank you for the wonderful truth that we find in it that Christ is able Christ is able to provide for our every need there is no worry that we could have that you could not you could not meet with your provision. And we thank you, Lord, for the message of Christ, the, the, the fact that he loves us with such a love that, that we need not worry to think that we are, we're, we're worthless in his eyes, but, but he has said that he feeds birds, he feeds the birds of the air, and yet we're of more worth than birds. So thank you, Lord, for the truth of Christ's provision. Thank you for your word, how it strikes us in our heart, and we pray, God, that this truth would steady us, steady us for lives of following after you. We would never worry, and we would go out with boldness in our hearts to preach the message of the gospel, knowing you will provide. So God, thank you for the time we've had in your word. Uh, we pray that you would be honored in our hearts, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to respond to